Hey everybody and welcome to this week's episode of In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. My name is Kevin, one of your hosts. And I am two of your hosts, Ethan. And this week, we will be discussing Something Borrowed, Something Green, episode four of Star Trek Lower Decks. This episode was written by Grace Para Jenny. Now, interestingly, Grace Para Jenny was a contributor for the nightly show with Larry Wilmore. Also, she was a member of Varsity Show, which um, at Columbia University was, uh, you know, like a sketch comedy group. And her castmates included Kate McKinnon, oh, Saturday Night Live fame, and Jenny Slate of also Saturday Night Live fame and a lot of other things. So um, she got a lot of comedy cred there and interestingly also a writer and producer of solar opposites we have a lot of crossover with solar opposites uh, on lower decks Hmm. director is bob suarez who's known for get ready solar opposites and big mouth which is one of my favorite series that's ever been created Hmm. and that's about it that was worth mentioning it's kind of like um Given like that, a lot of these people who work on this show have a history of working on a lot of the same shows. It's like, are we dealing with? Is this the Vampire Diaries version for Lower Decks? I mean, are we? Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't mean that in terms of quality, just like. Yeah. But yeah. it is. It is interesting. It is cool to me that they're pretty much sticking with people who have worked in it. I mean, I remember mentioning this last season. There was a lot of um, Jurassic Park animated series people tied yeah. to the show last season. So I like that it's like people. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer, but you'd be surprised. That it's just a lot of people with it's mostly people with animated backgrounds, right? Yeah, yeah. and I like to bring in a lot of comedy people, which right. makes sense. I'm just glad that they are. It's a good, yeah, it's a good and one of those not one of the writers you mentioned, but a lot. I mean, one of the lower decks writers was one of the co-writers for those old scientists on Strange New Worlds, which was a nice surprise as well. So, cool. it's so. interesting too that this Grace Power, everything that she has here is from heavy comedy but mm. this was not an episode that was super joke heavy it's not i mean they the the recent slew of episodes really haven't been they've had funny moments but that has mm-hmm. not been the sort of driving force behind them so they've been amusing and they've been fairly funny but um to your point yeah they haven't been um too comedy heavy so mm-hmm. So the interesting thing about this episode, when we first checked in on it, we sort of felt that it was a good episode, mm-hmm. or it was good, it was entertaining, but that we didn't have much more to say about it than that. We didn't. That was our feeling. Right. Um, so uh, for listeners, I mean, we are a few weeks behind just due to, as I mentioned on Instagram, time and life not being on our sides. So we have obviously seen the episodes that do follow this. Um, but I think it's okay to say this because what I want to mention is what the show seems to be doing a lot of this season is they seem to be getting away, and this could be all in my head, but they seem to be getting away from being very jokey and reference heavy and just doing just doing regular normal episodes. I mean, I know it's a poor way of describing it, but they're just doing episodes that they that you could only do on lower decks and they seem less concerned with making punchlines out of past references and 
situations and characters and all that other stuff. They're just doing typical Star Trek episodes. The show, I think, as you said, seems to now be sort of standing on its own two feet. Yes. And I like well, the visual that. Yeah. With a lot of its own original humor that's not reference based. That's, what, that's a better way of putting it than I said. Yeah. yeah. Its own original. Yeah. But then sometimes I see something and I think that might be a reference, but it doesn't matter. Like mm. the Mark Twain thing. Yeah. I felt like, did Picard do this at some point? But, you know, I wasn't really sure. No, I mean, so maybe it just kind of has the vibe of a Star Trek. Mark Twain, type. I mean, he appeared in Time's Arrow. He was a character in Time's Arrow. But the way they, the way they utilize him is not... It's more about just using the character. But the way he's utilized in this episode is not really about... Doesn't mirror how he was used in Time's Arrow. <laughs> right. No one yeah. ever went back and pretended to be him. Right. Right. Used right. him to settle diplomatic um, sticky exactly. situations. Exactly, but I did, I did find it funny, like the way they did use him. It was it very was amusing. Yes, yeah. but that was sort of a B plot, which I guess ended up tying into the C plot. So, like the C plot became, and the B plot kind of became the same plot. The main plot, of course, is spending time with Tendi, Mariner, and Talin, going back to Orion for Tendi's sister's wedding. Which mm -hmm. was a fun episode. I remember there was an episode, I think, in season two, where two or three, I think it was two, when Mariner went with Tendi on an Orion mission as well. And mm. so this kind of reminded me a little bit of that. But we get a lot of character growth and a lot of um, background info on Tendi's family and what the family structure is like. We get to see the Orion world and what the Orion people, how they live. And. Mm. Um, Pretty much like you expect. Exactly like we expect, like we would expect. And she basically has to go on a rescue mission to find her sister. But it's like, oh, yeah, but this is normal. Like, it's not. The name is De Erica, by the way. Yes. See, I, when I said this episode didn't have that many jokes, maybe I was wrong. <laughs> De Erica alone is. Well, no, it's, it's, it's original jokes. Right? I mean, yeah, to yes. your point, which is still a joke, but it's like not a joke as you would expect it on Lower Decks, which mo jokes mostly consist of references and Easter eggs and all that stuff. This was actually an original, you know, there's a lot of original humor on this in this episode. Indeed. So, but she goes back for her sister's wedding and Mariner and Talin accompany them, accompany her. And I really, I got to say, Talyn's role in this was just fantastic. I mean, because Talyn first, the, she doesn't want first. Um, Tendi doesn't want to go back, but Captain Freeman insists because they're sort of like the ambassadors of the Federation, and it would be a good idea to go back and um, just sort of represent because, the Federation. Because, she mentioned one of the issues is that an Orion ship was just destroyed by this reoccurring mystery ship. Oh right, I should have they mentioned that. That was the teaser. Yeah, and then a reoccurring mystery ship destroyed an Orion ship. So, so we got an update on that too. Yep. So sorry about that. I forgot about that. That's right before the opening. You know, because you know what it is. I've been so used to the show not having teasers that I just like went. I just sort of like skidded right past. Skidded right past. That, so. If there is a teaser, it's the mystery ship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the mystery ship happens, and then so that destroys another Orion ship. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And, and interestingly, Andy is. One of the five most important families in Orion. Yeah. So that's that wasn't interesting. I don't think we expected that. So before I continue with the main plot here, I mean, do you feel like, because I was thinking about this as I was watching the episode again, I can't really, 
there's nothing I can really theorize on about this mystery ship. Can you? Because it just no. seems there's nothing. It seems totally random. It's like yeah, too. I see no I connection. Mean, it's just setting up that I think this is in fact a great threat. Right. I think we understand that this is a threat. It's an equal opportunity threat because it's going after nobody really specific. It seems like it's just and no, no, uh, none of the ships had any effect on it. They had no no power to slow it down or stop. Right. Right. But did you notice that when they destroyed this ship, the logo, the Orion logo did not float into place like it did with the Klingons or the Romulans? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Maybe that's a subtle nod to something. I don't know. But <laughs> what it could be. Now, obviously, as I was mentioning, so they go back to Orion to serve as sort of Federation or Starfleet ambassadors. But Talin decides to take the opportunity to go to sort of learn more about Orion culture. Talin in a way, is sort of playing us because we've not really seen Orion culture before. And I like that she's sort of filling out a little, you know, she's keeping a log of everything. She has, she has her own little, like, comments, little hot takes to make yes. on all this, her own little observations. Yeah. Turning out to be a fantastic character, too, by the way. Yes. And at first, um, Mariner's just excited to go to, a, you know, a kick-ass wedding. Right. And at that point, Talina's not into it at all, but then she realizes it could be an anthropological uh, experience for her, and then she goes right. for it. You know, she makes me think that I kind of feel like Vulcans, it's because it's a very Vulcan way way to say that, right? But I sort of deep down think to myself, I think Vulcans want to kind of do what Mariner does, but they sort of like they're putting on a front like, oh, but I'll make it anthropological and I'll, you know, but I think they want to go for kind of for the same reason that talent, that uh, that Mariner wants to go. Right. And then we, she gets pulled into this mystery of a bridal kidnapping, which they say is very, very common there. <laughs> Yes, we're not really in any jeopardy whatsoever. It's just it's it's basically just status quo for them. It's kind of yes. But at the same time, Orion, while also being this sort of like almost I'm gonna make a very old TV reference here. Uh, Dallas or Falcon Crest type of, you know, rich family <laughs> kind of thing. They're also really fun partiers and they have all these like really cool clubs that they decide to uh to go to. And Yes. What I love about it is like everybody is so like there's that there's that death bug exercise and like you have all these people who are like you think you're going to like try to kill Tenny but they're like oh no they're like hey Tenny how you doing it's like they just have this long history of just like they're just being friends but you think they're like some sort of threat or some sort of danger there and it's like no 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 we're friends. All of their customs and social activities are seemingly <clears throat> violent and deadly to, uh, to but, most But people. what I love about it is I love the way that the that Tendi's crewmates react to all of it. They're just like, oh my god, Tendi, you're like a badass. We would never have known that because she seems so timid and so excitable on the Cerritos. So but she's a badass. She doesn't want anyone to see. She's embarrassed that she comes from such a right. violent culture. Right. Whereas Mariner would probably love, fit right in with this culture and go for, go for it hardcore. Right. Well, Mariner, I mean, I think even based off of like those old scientists, I mean, it seems like she would almost have no trouble fitting in just about anywhere, right? Like, that's true. Remember except when, for like, yeah. I mean, except when she did that thing last season. But yeah, if it was a boring place where they, you know, they like solitude and quiet or something. Too. Well, because I make, I, I think about like what she said to Boimler and, and those old scientists when they were faced with the two of them were faced with the possibility of like having to stay behind, and he was like, you know, we have to live off the grid. She goes, no, 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 no. I can't live off the, live, live off the grid. I require grid. I have yeah. to be on the grid. Yes, uh, I think one of the things that sort of summed up the 
strange debauchery that goes on with mm -hmm. the Orions was a quote from um, this man sex servant when he says, I'm just a moan head hopped up on the stink. Yeah. <laughs> I just, that line hit me and I'm like, oh my God, I understand. He is a moan head. He exists just to do sexual moaning and uh, inhale the stink. Mm -hmm. What I think is great about it is I was trying to think, have we seen the Orion homeworld before? And I, we haven't, but I think we've seen Orions that are not Starfleet or we have. dealing with Starfleet, even in um, the card. The closest I think we got to it was when we see the Orion slave girl dancing in the cage, and the and and where they are is very similar to the way you know it has like that sort of like almost ancient Greece vibe to it. But what I love about it is that the Orions have not been sort of quote unquote updated for today they still sort of retain how they were shown in the original series in the cage and but you just yeah that's and i think that's i think that's great it's but also you know we haven't really seen what i like that the show is also doing is that you know for the longest time the orions were mostly just associated with the original series and even enterprise we hadn't really seen them in the next generation time frame and beyond and I like that this show is giving us a look at them. But again, they also haven't really changed that much. Right. It's much better than what we got on Discovery, that's for sure. And oh, God. It's better than what we, what we got on Picard. We had that one character, that gangster guy who was... Uh, what was her name? Ryan. Oh, Syrah. That's right. Yeah, Osira. And then there was some random gangster guy who I think um, uh, might have been murdered hmm. by... Hang on. <laughs> I think Worf might have murdered him. Did he cut his head off? Yeah. No, well that was a Ferengi that he that he did that to. Oh okay. Yeah. Yes. Um Yeah. So It's like when you said beaming area. Well that guy would fit right in, in this world. He was pretty he was a sleazy character. Hmm. But yeah, it's interesting that this show is kind of giving us the definitive look at Orion culture. I think it was also um, it's a really great, again, character piece for Tendi. I like that we've learned a little bit more about her. I, I like her family structure a lot. I like how that's all displayed. I like that we find out that, what did she say? She, again, they're like the fifth richest family. Yes. Right? And Tendi's so like, going to be prime assassin. They're so impressed by like how rich she seems. She's like, yeah, but we're not even like the richest. Like this is, <laughs> like in her mind, yeah. they're like, oh yeah, we're like on the bottom here. Riches, yeah, that would be like, uh, yeah, like I'm only Warren Buffett rich, I'm not uh, uh, Elon Musk rich, yeah. But it's, I like, I, I like her background though, and I like that you know, she's just one of these characters who has just sort of left all of that behind and decided to really go into Starfleet and kind of go with them with sort of a more exciting, what she finds maybe a simpler, maybe more exciting life. But I like when Tendi has those moments to really show her sort of badass side. This, of course, is not the first time we've seen it. Mm -hmm. But she's somebody that is very reliable, somebody you can count on in those situations. And I like that she's I, – I just and I like the way the show reveals all of that to us, right? It's it's revealed in the – what do I say? It's, you know, the plot is serving the characters a lot, is serving the characters. And we're learning – about them through what the actions and what they do, how they participate in the plot itself. 
And very much. Yeah. Things are much more depth knowing that she realized that her true self was a mm. scientist. And and it's very nice the encouragement that she gets from her crew crew members. Right. And also really nice to see her and Mariner getting closer. I mean, when they did that first away mission together a couple of seasons ago, I can recall Mariner like her and Mariner having a discussion and I think doesn't Tendi say something like, you know, you didn't even know my first name or something like it was the first time the two of them really spent time together and only them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, and I, I think from that moment, from that episode, I think that was, I believe that was season two. Um, they have continued to grow close and I love that at this point, they're pretty much like besties now. Yeah, and she's finally becoming friends with Talyn, which was her dream. Right. Took a lot. I think that tr I and I love that. Tr I love I like. I hope this becomes sort of a trio for the show. I love the three of them together, like that. Talyn is the perfect foil for the two of them. But also, Definitely. but also like Talyn may also be a foil, but Talyn also has that really fun side too just in that very vulcan way you know she's got that little kind of smirk about her that i really like especially when she throws the the pad out at the end the window at the end saying like oh i can't submit this because what did she say like it wouldn't be right without the consent of it wouldn't be ethical yeah yeah without your consent to without, yeah something like that like yeah. talyn has a fun side but again it's in a very yeah, vulcan way so if anything and you know she she was going to put in her request to be brought back to the Vulcan Science Academy, but she she didn't send it. So I think she's starting to uh, you know maybe spock it up a little bit. You could say they're breaking and, her. They're breaking her in some ways. Yeah. Yes, they're making her a little more human. Yeah, and she's she's turned out to be exactly the character I hoped she would be. You and I were really looking forward to her joining the show, and they obviously left us hanging for about an entire season. And yes. now that she's there, she has, and I was kind of worried at first because I thought to myself, you know, four is a very good group. Yeah. And I was afraid they were going to bring her in as sort of a fifth wheel. But it hasn't really turned out that way. What they've kind of done, and I think they made it, and I think it also plays into why promoting them was such a good decision to make because they've kind of now separated them out a little bit. I mean, you have Boimler and Rutherford and they're, you know, sharing quarters together. So even though they're all still together as a group, a lot of times they're sort of off doing their own thing. And then you mm -hmm. have the three of them, which I hope it stays the three of them, together doing their own things. And they sort of, they'll come together as the plot needs them to. But I yeah. like the way they've sort of broken up and almost reset the dynamics a bit. I I agree. And I what I do like is they're using some of what I think is sort of uh, very... Not low hanging fruit, but kind of like my favorite sort of Vulcan humor, which is yeah, they don't under—they're too serious. They don't understand when things are inappropriate. Mm -hmm. They're using some of that, but they're not using too much. Right. Like when she meets the uh, the woman with all the moan heads, she says, uh, "Are all Orion women this manipulative, or is it specific to this one?" And uh, that gets the woman very angry. But uh, it's that kind of thing where, you know, not realizing that would not be an appropriate question to uh, to ask. Yeah. That's good Vulcan humor. There was some really great Easter eggs, too, um, in this in that uh, in that plot, particularly the crashed Federation ship that they use. 
it is the exact same type of ship as Seven of Nine's ship, the USS Raven, which they find on Voyager. Oh. So that was a that was a really really nice touch. I'm glad that they did that, and they sort of found it under the same circumstances. Like they found it crashed. It was sort of on, on a cliff. So I it was that was a nice nod. And again, you know, an Easter egg, but an Easter egg that wasn't just there for the sake of an Easter egg. An Easter egg that worked in the actual plot itself. It was you know it made it made sense in the in the episode sort of world. Indeed. But I really liked this story. Um, obviously, it was the dominant story of the episode. But when I think back on a lot of the other Tendi stories or sort of the Tendi moments, I, she's really a great character. I don't think that I fully, I have to confess, I don't know that I fully appreciated her as much in the past. But the more I think about it, the more I feel like a lot of her stories ended up have sort of ended up becoming some of my favorite throughout the series. I think Tendi is a great character, and I love, I love the journey that she's been taking on the show. I think it's, I think it's Lynn, obviously. She's Talin, the yeah. least used of the, the main mm-hmm. four. So far, I mean, a, we're only four episodes in. Well, I mean, through the whole series, I think. Yeah. She's the least used. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know. I don't mind that because when she is used, it's it's pretty solid. Yeah. So so right. Don't force characters into a main storyline if they if they don't have one. She's kind of. I would like them to bring her up a little bit more, but she's sort of. But the thing is, she's still, I think, used very well. I think she, I would like to see her used more, but I think she's. But I think when she is used, she's used very well. She comes in at like she comes in at just the right times. Mm-hmm. And I think that she kind of steals every scene that she's in. She's a scene stealer, is what she is, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. So the Do you have a line this week? A funniest line I actually you said it. It was the uh Moanhead? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Good choice. Because yeah. I love that one too. Mm. Not my favorite. My favorite was, let's see. Oh, when Erica says, We don't trust Starfleet. It's too nuanced and thorough. I thought that was good. That was some good Trek humor right there. What the joke you- was also nuanced. Yes. So, really quick. Um, it, again, it didn't take up a whole lot of time, but the other plot involving Boimler, Rutherford, and their little, you know, I yeah, love what they were saying, like, it's getting annoying between the two of them, because they're like, they're finishing each other's sentences, and they're calling them each other, like, Brotherford now, because they're, they're, they're so <laughs> close. Um, yeah. But, obviously, it's it sort of came to a head this episode, because they they sort of developed a little bit of a rivalry with one another in their depiction of wanting to play mark twain but i love how they i thought it was so the first time i watched it i didn't really find it too funny in the sense of them and then that they were trying to use because they were on the holodeck they were both you know mark twain and they were able to use that to sort of you know fix the conflict between the two of them settle the conflict between the two of them the accent to be able to talk through their issues and then but then they tried that with the actual captain who's dealing with that other 
that alien yeah. commander. And I when when they got to the holodeck, I'm like, I, I know what you're doing, show, but it, I just don't find this to be very funny. Like even like this is kind of ridiculous. And I felt vindicated when the captain's like, why am I even doing this? I don't I don't get this because you think to yourself like, well, the aliens not gonna know what the fuck this is. He's not gonna be invested. Like reference. He's not gonna. I'm gonna get the reference to any of this. Yes. So that was a dumb move on their part, but it works because all they had to do was let him eat, let him eat their bonsai tree, and then right that seemed little right. But I like that they were able to like take it that. I like that they were actually able to take it that far, though. Like they were able to get him on board and like get onto the holodeck and like dressed up and just kind of like, what, 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 why am I doing this exactly? And I think Captain Freeman just was so out of ideas that she right. was trying to do. He's not even talking about the southern accent. Well, but I am from the south. And, like, he's, like, from the southern portion of his own planet. Well, I would not know what an Earth... Not only Earth, but an American Earth southern right. accent. But what's weird to me, because you were asking me this before the show, I think, um, the use of Mark Twain was a funny reference, but, like, they weren't using him in the same way that he was used in Time's Arrow. They were just using him as a reference yeah. to the character, but that's it. Like, he wasn't playing the same kind of role yeah. if I recall. So what I thought it had a vibe of like, oh yeah, this right. is a very Mark Twain, very Star Trek. I'm not sure actually sure why, but right. I know he is. Yeah. And then I do remember the scene together. Right. But he's not he's not playing he's not serving the same purpose. It's just Mark Twain because Mark yeah, Twain no, because, Mark, because of Mark Twain. Fashion right. I mean I got, I got a really good laugh like when the two of them are on the holodeck, you know, doing the program and then they get called to the bridge and Boimler walks on with the mustache still on. He's like in full dress uniform, but he's like, he has to pull the mustache off. But uh, I like that. I mean, it was fun to see the Mark Twain reference again from Time Zero, but otherwise, you know, I don't know. I don't know that the joke fully landed for me. Was it Mozart they tried it with at the end? It was Mozart, yeah. Yeah, that was equally silly. But for them, hey, they found a way to make their friendship work. They can talk about their issues. Only if they are it, historical figures. It is a really funny idea, though, them using the holodeck as a means to settle their differences like that. Yeah. And it's also goes to show that some of the lengths that people will go through to not have direct confrontation with each other. Right. I, but I just... Very and, and maybe that was the point of the joke, right? Maybe it wasn't about like, oh, them getting the captain and the, and the commander over there to like, oh, this is not going to work. I think it was maybe it was more the idea of like, you act like they actually were able to get them both like in co- like basically in costume and try to do this. And I think maybe that's where the humor was supposed to be. Cause in the back of my mind, as you say, like the alien's not going to have any idea what this is. And he's not going to be able to, you know, play into this because he would have no reference to who Mark Twain even is. So he's not going to go, he's not going to role play this. Right. But the fact that like he was actually there dressed as Mark Twain though, I think really that made me laugh pretty hard because it just looked so ridiculous. Yes. So what are your uh, odds and ends? All right. A few lines. I like when, um, I forget the exact context, but I think they had nothing to do. Mm. And they were happy that they had nothing to do. And uh, Tillian said, celebrating a lack of purpose is illogical. <sighs> that was good. Yep. I like that they had Andorian linen. Yes. Because I'm someone who's very obsessed with my bed sheets. I like to get new ones all the time and different weaves. Mm. And when I change, when I put fresh bed sheets on, you know, it's a very happy person. Yeah. <laughs> when I go to sleep, so I can appreciate the thrill of these 
cooling Andorian linens. They could have also made reference to it being Tholian silk because Tholians are arachnids, right? Oh, they, yeah. they did that on DS9. They made reference to that on DS9. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about this one? When they saw where Tendi lived, Mariner said, You grew up in a castle like Billups? Yeah. That was odd. Yeah. Interesting. That's like, tell me more. Yeah. I, I love um, Mariner's line, and I think you like it too, because we like we love to talk about what the situation on Earth is, which I think doesn't get mentioned enough anymore. But when Mariner said, I'm from a post scarcity world, and this is still impressive. Yeah. Yeah. That was very good. Yeah. So, in other words, yeah, in a world where all everyone's needs are met, mm-hmm. right? Gaining material wealth is not really something that people strive for anymore. Right. You're still yep. impressed. Picard mentioned that directly in First Contact. So, mm-hmm. nice job, Lowdex. And lastly, oh, they mentioned that Starfleet made up the Orion pheromones to cover for Kirk. <laughs> that oh, was I, missed, I must have missed that. I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. So they were talking about the pheromones, and yeah. someone said, I thought they made up the pheromones to cover for a captain being like manipulated by some dancing girls. <laughs> Something like that. So. I noticed that the Orion's ship design didn't look that different from how they appear on Star Trek Enterprise, which I thought was nice. In the beginning, in the opening of the episode, when the when the when that Orion ship was sort of like going through all this various junk, they did pick up an original series phaser and then sort of discard that if you noticed if you noticed that one. Which I thought was nice. So what I also noticed, and actually a site pointed this out, which I thought was which was vindicating for me. They, the episode embraces like different shades of green used for the Orion makeup over the years because it's always been different. And I don't think that was sort of by design. I just think the green has changed for whatever reason. I don't think there was like, a, but so I liked the show. Like the show didn't try to make everybody the same color. They just gave them all different shades of green, which I thought was a really nice nod to sort of the makeup yeah. inconsistency over the years. Yeah, it probably has different. Yeah, there's there's a reason people have different shades. Nice. Right. Yeah, that was really, I really, really like, enjoyed that. And I think, I mean, well, you mentioned my favorite line. So, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I, again, I think a, a great, a good episode, but not, but one that really stands on its own. One that is not, was not too consumed with jokes and punchlines and references. It was all... A lot of it was very original humor, which I liked. And as I said, I think in our last episode, when the show does this, in a, in a way, I almost prefer them to do it this way. I think I said this to you offline, but it kind of reminds me of the Orville and the trip, the, the way the Orville's take, the, the journey the Orville's taken. Like the Orville started off as sort of like meant to be jokey and almost Star Trek parody. But as the years went on, it sort of dropped a little bit. It sort of dropped that a bit and then became its own thing. And I'm seeing a lot of, and I'm seeing, I feel like Lower Decks is really doing a lot of that this season. And that makes me very happy. Agreed. I would, in a way, almost like that to become the mandate of the show now. 
right? I still want some of the, some Tom Paris commemorative. Oh, plates. totally. Like I don't want them to stop doing that. But if you recall, yeah. I think it was there was an episode last, maybe the beginning of last season or season two. There were like there was like two, one or two episodes where they were like it was like reference after reference coming in left and right, and I was kind of like, oh my god, like dude, slow show, slow down, please. Um, at an almost alarming rate, and it was too much. And getting a little Family Guy-ish, right? It was, it was, and they have certainly stopped that. And I just, I don't want them to overdo it. I think when they when they make those references, as long as they work well, it's it's funny, it's fine, but. I'm sort of of the feeling like I want the show to do more of what we saw this week. Certainly bring in some reference humor, but like I would love the base of the humor to come out of, to be original, to be original humor. That's Agreed. my, that's my hot take. And I also still want the movie parody. Holodeck oh, I, I hope we still get that. Yes. Yeah. There's a, um, this is going to be a weird thing to mention, but those are called those episodes are called crisis point. Mm-hmm. They're kind of doing, and I'm wondering if they're doing it. If this is why they do it, they did this on Night Court. So like every season on Night Court, they would do an episode where they'd have to like arraign a whole bunch of cases by midnight, and there would be some oh, ridiculous but, uh, reason yeah. for doing that. And they, it was called the Day yeah, in the yeah. Life, and they did it like every. I think starting in season four, they did one like every single season. It just became a recurring theme every season. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, like, it's a really weird theory but i'm like i'm wondering if they <laughs> if that's where they got that from <laughs> yeah i mean i, I can't I think of any of the show doing that so i love just making room for one more standard parody right you know episode that you know the we've had three crisis point episodes i think right there was one season we didn't get one i think right um the first one is still my favorite because whenever you we mention crisis point the first thing my mind goes to is when they're arriving on the ship and it just they just keep that was <laughs> the ship, yeah. i remember we, i remember when we recorded that episode we were talking about that particular moment <laughs> you snorted like three times just like recalling <laughs> it because it was so it was so you know what it was what they were so good at was they were make they were making light because that wasn't that was never something in trek that i thought there was something I always enjoyed whenever they would like approach the ship and it was always this great big thing, but it was never like, I never saw it as being like funny or like maybe there could be a joke out of this, right? Or like, oh, they're going to do this again. I love that the show like decided to turn that into a joke and it just Not became... Even in the motion picture. What? Not even in the motion picture when it went on for... I mean... 12 minutes. Nobody, <laughs> but the thing is, nobody laughs at that. They're just like, oh, it's it's Kirk just circling the ship. Like it's not... They don't look at it humorously. They're just kind of like, it's such a waste of time and... Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But it's yeah, like, it's always those yeah. great beauty shots of the ship in Space Dock, right? And yeah. Mm-hmm. They just overdid it. And the part that really tickled me the most, it's like they've almost, like they've shown every conceivable angle you could, they can think of. They've, they've almost run out of angles. And then they do one from the top where it just keeps spinning. It's like they're getting, the, I think the camera's like getting further away. Like they just, they've run out of, they've run out of ideas. So they're just, yeah. now they're just going to do this. <laughs> that's good. So I, I haven't seen all of the episode timelines. I don't know if they're all out yet. I hope they do another crisis point this season. 
Me too. I hope so. And I, I'd like to see it, like, yeah, I'd like to see it focus on. What would I want it to focus on? I don't know, anything really, any episode. But maybe like an Abrams film. Or... I, 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 yeah, like, I don't think that they, the other ones have been as strong as the first Crisis Point. I mean, the first Crisis Point was just brilliant. Yes. Um, I don't find the other ones to be as memorable. They're still good, still funny, but I don't think mm -hmm. they're going to top that. First one. It would be very cool if they do a seriously Abrams verse and the ship's all white on the inside and they make well they did they did reference they did make reference to that in the first one but like oh, they yeah. didn't do, it wasn't it was like for a moment they didn't do like a whole episode on it yeah I think that would be that it would could be, be like maybe like in that crisis point maybe they get actually get stuck in that universe or something and like everything is so different right um I do want to call out one news item before we wrap up. Okay. Which was sort of concerning. So oh, interesting. The creator of the show, Mike McMahon, calls on fans to help keep lower decks from facing the same fate as Prodigy. What? Yeah. That's silly. I think it's because so it's the changes at Paramount Plus that have him concerned. So obviously, you know, Discovery oh. ending and then Prodigy. Yeah, there's a feeling, you know, that they're working on season five right now. It's already, it's been officially renewed. I think there's a concern that it may the show potentially could not continue beyond that point. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of streaming services are reevaluating their business model, but they're I think they're foolish. Right. They seem to be saying that, like, why are we wasting all this? This is the vibe I've gotten from what I've read. Why are we wasting all this money making new shows when we can just put up a bunch of bullshit? Right. Which I don't think that makes a lot of sense. Well, and sort of my feeling is that, obviously, I don't know what the budgets of these shows are, but I think it's, I think it's pretty obvious that Lower Decks does not have the budget that, say, A Strange New World of Discovery has. Yeah. So, I mean... Show. The actors get more expensive, sure. But... Yeah, but even when you're doing voice, you don't get as much as when you're doing live action. Right. Well, I think that just would play into like the ratio between that and you know whatever yeah. the budget of the show is. But um, he said he so he's quoted as saying he says yeah he says listen we're in weird times everything is changing. I think everything's going to continue to change. I would say nothing is safe. I don't have any bad news for anybody, but also I think you shouldn't assume that this stuff is going to stick around unless you vocally unless you vocally and watch it early on. I do not know if we're going to have another season after season five, after the season we're working on right now. He says Lower Decks could very well be a five-season five season show. So, I mean, it's not like it's a sure thing. Yeah. But we do everything right. We have a subscription. We watch the episodes as soon as they come out. Right. But I think it's also, I mean, I can understand the concern just because of like everything changing. I mean, and we've discussed this before, but we're only five episodes into four episodes into season four right now. I mean, if there's going to be a season beyond season five, they're not going to announce it now. They'll announce it at the beginning of season five. So if there is going to be a season six, that announcement's not going to come for at least another year. Yeah. So I think it's because like typically streaming shows tend to call it a day after five seasons. And so it's been a short five seasons, if that makes sense. It right. doesn't feel like it's been five seasons or even it's not five seasons yet, but 
doesn't feel like it's been forced. I feel like this show, I mean, a live action show I can kind of understand, but I still think they could do more episodes. I think this show they could do more episodes a season. Oh, yeah, probably. Is The Simpsons still doing 26 a year? Do they still do that? Or, well, 20-something? I don't know. I assume so, but I'm not actually sure. I mean, it's a network show, so I would assume. I mean, I would assume. every now and then and watch an episode here and there. Yeah. One I just, day, you know, when I'm old and like my legs don't work or something, I'll have all those Simpsons episodes to catch up on. Oh, hey, low, uh, uh, Futurama's coming back, and I'm very excited about that. <laughs> I think it's back. Is it back already? Uh-huh. I haven't followed the release because I love that show. But I just, I think, like, I think Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds, but I'd say more so Lower Decks just because of the the fact that it's animated, um, could go for a long time. I mean, it's poi. I, th- I think the show could really go for a lot of years. And I would love to see them take it all the way and have the Lower Deckers be promoted to captain i think that would be a logical end of the show i mean mike mcmahon has said in this article that he already has an idea of where he'd like to see the show go but that's not the idea that's not after five seasons i think his idea extends you know beyond that but and if they need to end lower decks and then start you know star trek mariner or something you you know you know what the last thing i'll say in this you know like what irks me too Mm. is and i hate to even use this term but you know, you have the upcoming Starfleet Academy show. Mm-hmm. No, this is the term I hate. Nobody's asking for this. Uh, you know, no, I no, 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 really though. Like, 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 why would you possibly cancel Lower Decks and for that show, other than just budgetary reasons? Yeah. Like, I don't even. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just if I if I may, you may no, you may not. Uh, if I may uh, offer a possible explanation, yeah, please. I do believe that the most desire. I believe that if this show is what I think it will be, it will be targeting the most desirable demographic for these sort of things, which are like younger adults with more disposable income. Well, and also, when I talk about budget, right? If if that's even a thing, if, if that's even an issue, a factor here. That's why the next generation was created in the first place, because the the original series actors rising salaries for the films. While the movies were still profitable, they were becoming less profitable because they were getting pay raises every film. Hmm. So it was becoming less profitable for the studio. The movies were not making sort of more money. I mean, the voyage home was kind of the exception, but five didn't do well. Um, Six did okay. Six did well enough. I don't know how profitable it was. But it was after four where they just said in 1986, they said, you know, we have to, it's clearly a valuable property, but we have to expand it beyond this. So we have to, you know, and so what I'm saying is they create the next generation. They bring in all these unknown actors for a lot cheaper and then they start making money. And that's why you kept getting, that's another reason why you kept getting more spinoffs because the cast were were getting more expensive. Mm. They knew it was a valuable franchise. So they create these newer shows with, lesser known actors I, to you know yeah but nobody's making shatner money now oh i don't know i mean he was i think by the time the voyage home came i mean i think his salary was a million dollars which in 86 dollars i mean that was you know a lot that was a lot yeah those were his salary demands yeah um yeah. it was like him and nimoy um they actually i read a story when six came about 
Shatner had to arrange it with the studio so that DeForest Kelly would make a million dollars. So he wasn't even getting that money. Oh, yeah. Right. So by the time six, he arranged it for, with them so that DeForest Kelly would get that, that. So don't tell me Shatner's an asshole because he's not. <laughs> he could still be an asshole. He could still be an asshole, but I think that's a very nice yeah, thing to do for yeah, somebody. Maybe in other ways. Maybe, but I mean, that's a very, you know, that's, uh, everybody DeForest Kelly. That's very considerate of him to do, I think. So, yeah. And I don't maybe. know what that arrangement was. Was that arrangement was, if you don't give me a million dollars, I'm not doing it? Yeah. Maybe. That's nice. So, that's... So, we know he's not an asshole to DeForest Kelly. We got that. I sure. I just hope that's... I hope that season five is not the is not the last. Because I think that this show and Strange New Worlds are really the two flagship shows for the current franchise on Trek franchise on TV. I mean, they're the best of the bunch, in my opinion. And I know I'm not the only one that feels this way. I mean, I've seen other people echo that sentiment online, too. And I think that they should just keep feeding. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing. If Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds were the only two Trek shows in existence right now, I would be totally fine with that. Yeah, I would be fine with it too. Yeah. I do think though. I know people love Prodigy. I've not seen much of it, so I can't comment there. So I do think that. Well, maybe that's giving them too much credit, but there's if they cancel it, there's got to be someone making a decision based on something. Right. You know, I don't think they're doing it just for, well, you know, a little whim. Prodigy's cancellation, I don't know if you know this, was a tax break. I did hear that. But also, there must have been a calculation, too, of like, all right, you know what? This move, this show has is not going to make us this, but it hasn't made us this much money. It hasn't really right. done much for us. Maybe it was a mistake. Let's get the tax break on it. Yeah. You know? Discovery... We handling, you know, Strange New Worlds for a tax break. Discovery, in a way, makes sense. I mean, my feelings about the show aside, I mean, that was an expensive show to make. Yeah, and, of course. And I think that was the thought. It was like, not only is it expensive, but five seasons, that's, that's yeah, pretty enough good. Enough already. <laughs> Like when you got your hairstyle changed, enough already. Oh my god, I knew you were gonna mention that. Um, so I mean, for Discovery's case, it makes sense. I can't imagine Lower Decks potentially being a expensive show. I'm not saying it's cheap, but I would not think it was one of the most expensive shows. No, no, no. This eighteen ninety nine or nineteen thirty two, whatever the fuck these Western shows are. I mean, those got to be expensive. And I know that I know they're good, but and there's like five of them. Uh huh. So, so we'll um see that. Okay, tell me about next week's episode. Well, glad you asked. Next week episode, empathological fallacies, is great. Now, here's why I love it, that title because in my Lang AP language and composition class, I teach logical fallacies. So I love that this is empathological fallacies. Define it for me. Well, I can't because they made up the word, the term empathological fallacies. Now, logical fallacies are just those things that people, 
views that sound like they're a good, solid, logical argument, but they're really not. So it sounds like, could this be a Talin episode? Well, empathy. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, you said logical, so I just, you know, you have logical in there, so I just kind of... Right, I would like to think that, but this is empathological. Empathological, yeah. So it would be cool if it was Selene, yes. But what would an empathy fallacy be? I don't know. I'm excited to find out. Uh, So it's directed by Megan Lloyd, and it's written by Jamie Loftus, and Jamie Loftus is an American writer, stand-up, alternative comedian, animator, podcast co-host, so right there. Oh, he's one of us. This Jamie Bethany Loftus. She's one of us. She's one of us, sorry. Uh, Yeah, and I don't know that she's done other of the Lower Decks. Oh, get this. Born in Boston, Massachusetts. Who is this person? Why don't we have them on the podcast? Maybe they're my neighbor. Maybe they're my neighbor for all I know. Maybe went to Emerson College. I almost went to Emerson College. Her first job out of college was at the Boston Globe, and she was fired when she tweeted her stand-up set, and uh, they didn't like what they saw, so they fired her. That's fun. Mm. Uh, She worked on Robot Chicken. Well, okay. You're going to go into this next week when we announce, when we talk about the episode, so. Oh, she's also a canvasser for the Democratic Socialists of America. This person should definitely be on the podcast. You're going to repeat all of this next episode. <laughs> you're doing it too. You're doing it too early. Perhaps. I'm going to remind you of this. You're not doing this to save time next week. No, I you're know. Not I getting just, this I'm, out of the way now. I was genuinely intrigued by this person. That's why I yes. kept going. All right. Well, we're going to be back next week to discuss the episode. What's it called? Empathological fallacy. That sounds like it's fun to say. Empathological. Empathological. Yeah, it's like more than four syllables. It's pretty fun. Empathological. We're gonna get six syllables there. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, we'll see you everybody next time. Bye.